Uh, real quickly, before I get into this, I just want to tell you a little bit of background without being uh, necessarily negative, but my good dad was raised in an alcoholic home where his mom and dad had lots of dysfunction. His mother was drunk most of his, uh, most of his adolescence. God saved him as an 11-year-old boy, and my dad loved the Lord. And I've written a book about him. I honor him. He's now lived with Jesus longer than he lived with, with us in this world. And, I, and now the Lord's had him longer than I had him. But I love my dad very much. However, I would tell you this. And my dad, was, he pastored a church for about four years when, he was, uh, when I was about uh, three, four, five, and six years old. But really, in, in each situation, it became overwhelming to him financially especially. And... As time would have it, we moved 17 times from the time I was born to I graduated from high school in different homes, eight different states. And of course, anytime you move like that, uh, unless he was in the military and he wasn't, he just had happy feet, you know. And, and, but when you move, you lose a lot of momentum. And, but we never owned a home, never uh, drove a nice car. My dad deeply loved Jesus Christ. He loved my mom. He loved his kids. But finances was one of those things which was really hard for him. I think he just grew up living hand to mouth and trying to figure out things and plan anything or do something. He was a tither as far as I know. But it was, it was challenging. And I remember a little aha moment took place for me when I was 15 years old. I saw something that didn't, didn't pan out. And I realized when my dad struggled financially, it affected our entire family. I could tell that. And so I knew that was happening, and I was 15 now. I was the oldest in my family. And I remember going into the house one afternoon after there had been a, definitely a, 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 just a, a not a good decision made by my dad regarding, regarding finances. I saw it. I saw, the, I saw the inequities, and I saw we spent money when we should have given this money here. We spent something on luxury that we should have paid the rent. The landlord was at the at the house, and we weren't ready, and my dad had to, it was embarrassing for him, it was embarrassing for us, it was embarrassing for my mom, and I remember sitting on the kitchen counter, and my mom said to me, I said to mom, I said, dad, mom, it doesn't make sense, why? And I asked her some questions, and I said, you know, and I, I said, there's something real wrong, why is it with such a stressed out life, and we're not making good decisions, I mean, any, anyone with common sense could understand that. I remember sitting on the counter, probably shouldn't have been doing that, but I remember my mother coming up to me, putting her hands on my knees, looking into my eyes, almost eye to eye, and she said, John, your dad is the best. I love him. He loves God. He loves you. And uh, he loves to soul win. He, he puts you guys, he'll sacrifice anything for you. He said, when you grow up, I hope you'll be a lot like your dad. He said, but... Your dad does not understand a dollar bill. He struggles with finances, probably something from his childhood and just the way he was raised. He said, John, if you don't change and get God's thinking on finances, your kids are going to be asking your wife the same question one day. and You're going to pass on the same things that you've observed and seen if you don't change. And John, you're the oldest child in our family. And I would suggest you learn it and try to teach it to your siblings because dad doesn't understand it yet. 
He's a great man, but this is an Achilles heel in his heart and life. I don't know. I, I just remember being extremely taken back by that, by that uh, admonition from my mother. And I never want to be discouraging toward my dad. I love my dad. But it was just the truth. And I remember that day beginning to read the book of Proverbs with a little more alertness and saying, okay, hang on a second. I'm reading Proverbs every day. I'm going to look at it for finances. He says, you better study some other people. You better read some books. You better find out what God's plan is for finances. What I found out from reading other people that there are over 1,800 references to money and possessions in the Bible. There's 600 to prayer. Is prayer important? Sure. But financial things are extremely important. When Jesus preached his classic message on the Paramount of the Mount, he, didn't, he, he preached that classic message on the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. Right smack in the middle of that message, he, he deals with finances. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't lay it up on earth, because everything on earth is going to be corrupted, corroded, and consumed or captured by thieves. Nothing you give to God ever has those things happen to them. He says, you got two treasuries, you got two perspectives, and you got two masters, and you can't serve both of them. Money is a wonderful, wonderful uh, servant. It's a terrible master. And Satan... And society and our own selfishness gets us real squirrely about finances. Now, it's personal. It's extremely personal. Nothing I know about music and money are very personal. But music is personal on steroids. Money is personal on steroids. It's even more. If you ask me when I was born, where I was born, what hospital I was born at. If I was born in the morning or night, if I have brothers or sisters, where they live, I would tell you, where do I live? I'd probably tell you my address. You could ask me all kinds of questions. How many kids in your family? How many children you have? What's their birthdays? I don't know. I just, most of those questions, I would be so happy to share with you. Where'd you meet your wife? Where did she live growing up? Oh, I'd just tell you all kinds of personal stuff. However, if you said, Okay, man, you've, you've helped me with all kinds of things. Now, let's talk about your finances. Hey, Pastor, how much do you make every week? Hmm? Oh, forget that. Okay, let me just, um, you know, uh, how much money do you have in savings right now? Boy, or you could just say, you know, uh, let me just see your checkbook and see your, could you just put your little Chase Bank and just show me kind of how you spend your money? I'd just like to see that. All of a sudden, you've crossed a line, buddy. Hey, you're getting personal. And you know, the truth of the matter is, you were personal all along, but you crossed one line, and that is my heart line. Where a man's treasure is, there his heart. Okay? Now, if Linda asked me those three questions, would I give her the answers? Obviously, yes. It'd be no problem. You know why? She has something you don't. She has my heart. <laughs> Yeah, she's, she's my soulmate. We, we, we're open about that. But to everyone else, that's the really very few people. I, would I just say, oh, yeah, here's this. I spend it for this, and here's how much money I have down the penny. I, would, I wouldn't probably share it with you. And you wouldn't share it with me readily unless we really trusted each other. But, you know, the truth of the matter is Jesus knew that that would be the case. And so there's several principles I'll, I'll give to you tonight that I just feel like over time, 
there's eight things that I have learned, and I, 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 they're not exclusive. I mean, once again, there's 1,800 verses in the Bible or situations on money and possessions. But there are eight things that, as time goes on, I have seen these things. Now, Brother Mark Bush, he could talk about this. Al Perez, so many others could. But I just, I'm getting a chance to talk this evening. So I want to just rush through them real quickly. Number one is that we have to understand that God is the source of everything we have. Okay, that instantly makes us an owner of nothing and a manager of everything that he's given us. Okay, it's a mentality. I don't think we'll ever manage things correctly until we understand that we are a manager and somebody else owns it. My car is not my car. My house is not my house. The kids are not my kids. Uh, the church is not my church. The clothes are not my clothes. They actually, I am... Everything I have has been delegated to me from the one who owns it. Anybody have a verse of Scripture that might go along with that? Come to your mind. Anybody thinking of a verse of Scripture, Brother Mark? James chapter 1. He said, everything that came to you, it came from where? From the Lord. Okay? I think the Psalms 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world, and all they that dwell therein. God owns everything. In, in Job chapter uh, 41, verse number 11, he says, everything under the heaven is mine. And he owns the heaven too. He said, anything you can see, God says, that, that, that's mine. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, he said, the gold is mine. The silver is mine. Everything we have belongs to God. So the first thing we have to do financially is understand that we're managers and not owners. God owns everything, okay? So God, God is the owner. N number two is that giving is a must. Giving is a must. Giving for a child of God is not an option. It's a responsibility. Now, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. But you want to understand, look, God doesn't give you an option if you want to give or not. You are res you're responsible to give. And all through the Bible, it shares this. God always condemns greed and stinginess, and he always rewards generosity and love. He always does that. And, and, and he, he, he gives it to the Scripture. Now, there's three ways that I know just generally that we give to God. And one of them is not really giving, and that is the tithe. The tithe is the Lord's. Okay? And... We can argue about that, and numbers of people do. They say, well, in this, in this day and age, we don't have to tithe. And if you don't want to say you have to tithe, okay. But, but I think after the cross and now, all these people, I mean, from Abraham, who didn't have a Bible, okay, and Jacob, who didn't have a Bible, whenever they ran, they ran to someone who represented God, they knew they owed him. They recognized when, when, when Abraham saw Melchizedek, the representation of the Most High God who had blessed him so much, who told him to leave the earth of the Chaldean and made him so rich. As soon as he saw the representation of God in Melchizedek, he said, don't go anywhere. I got to give you tithes of all. He, he saw someone who represented God. He said, okay, hang on a second. Don't pass go, don't collect $200. Hang on a second. I got to get this to you. He knew that from, probably God told him, but he in his head knew that. Jacob knew that. In the law, it's there. Before God closes out the Old Testament, he gives us that. 
And now, after I know who Jesus, none of those people knew exactly who the Messiah was. How many of you know who the Messiah is? Okay. We know who he is. We have been given a special dispensation. The mystery is no longer a mystery to us. And we want to argue about giving less than the tithe in this dispensation. To me, it's just like, that's, that's crazy. We already know how God thinks about that. Even before, they'll say, oh, that's the law. That's the Old Testament. Jesus tithe. And folks will say, well, Moses, or excuse me, Paul did not bring it up. And I, I, I would agree with that. You're not going to find the word tithe in the, in the Pauline epistles. But you'll find the principle throughout the scriptures. And so to me, and by the way, tithing is just the training wheels. It's just getting started. It's God's starting place. But a tithe, there's four things about a tithe. Number one, the rate of the tithe is 10%. We can see that throughout the book of the, of the Bible. Okay, it's the 10%. Number two, the nature of the tithe is the first fruit. It's the first 10%. Not after we pay all of our bills do we say, okay, now I've got $15 left. I'll bring $1.50 to church on Sunday. It's not, it's not after you pay your bills. It is off the top. It's the first fruit. So the rate of the tithe. The responsibility of the tithe is to assess the increase that God gave me, to divide it by 10, and bring one-tenth of it to the church, but not, not to the church for itself. Bring it to the Lord through the local church and commit it to God. See, a person who will tithe, honestly, the rest of his life will be in church on Sunday, will be giving, will be hearing God's word, faith will be strengthened, they'll be faithful for the rest of their life. You know, when people stop giving to the Lord, and I, I've seen it in this church, and I've seen it in the previous church, I had the joy of pastoring. People who get squirrely with God, who get discontented with church, it's almost like nine times out of ten when I have asked them, are you faithfully given to the Lord right now? They'll say, no. I was. I used to. I remember arguing with a man one day, and he was telling me he was convinced he was in love with another woman who wasn't his wife. And he goes, I never have loved my wife. I love this woman, and this is who I'm going to go with. I said, are you kidding me? I said, you know, I couldn't argue with him anymore. He, he was just, he was convinced on it. I said, you know, can I just ask you one question? I said, um, are you a faithful and honest tither? And you thought I hit him upside the head with a two by four. He said, no, I haven't given to the Lord probably in two years. I said, bingo, you're, you're, you've got an issue here. And you know, that, that thing brought him back to the Lord. It was an amazing, amazing thing. He came back. He, he left the office in a little bit of a huff, but he came back to this church. He came back to me probably eight months later, and he said, you know, he says, you killed me with that question. Because I know when I got saved, I was a tither, and I hadn't tithed that. He said, I just decided I was going to start tithing. And he said, you know, I can't tithe and still love this other woman. I said, that's right. He He tried. And unfortunately, his marriage did not last the situation, but he came back, and, and many of you would maybe even know this dear brother. But he confessed that he had been wrong and sinned against God and came back and tithed until he went home to be with the Lord. And, you know, I've seen that happen over and over again. Because tithing, first of all, the responsibility. Assess my income. It's ABCs. Assess my income, bring it to the to house of God, commit it to the Lord. You have two things to tithe, arithmetic and obedience. Just do the math and do it. Well, the next thing is the reason for the tithe. Real quickly, the reason for a tithe is, first of all, it is to, 
to care for God's work and his workers. Everyone who gets saved gets saved indirectly or directly because of a local church that did its job. Okay? This uh, precious lady here, Miss Stonebeck, she, she came on the bus. Is that correct? Okay? Uh, did you pay for the fuel that brought you on the bus? Did you pay for the bus? No, you didn't do anything. You just took it, right? Uh, Miss Miriam, how did you first come to church here? On a bus, okay? So uh, I just sat in an auditorium that I didn't pay for on pews I didn't buy, listened to a man I didn't support, having, enjoy, having a light on that room. Every, I was a taker when I heard the gospel. Okay? And do you know why I could do all that? Because someone gave before I showed up. And you know, it's just, it's, it cares for God's work and worker. But tithing, the purpose of a tithe is more intrinsic than it is practical. It says, if you don't tithe, God's going to finance his work. He doesn't need my big bucks or yours. Okay, but when we give, practically it cares for God's work and worker. But, but principally, it teaches me the fear of the Lord. It teaches me that God is real. Deuteronomy 14, let's all look at that real quickly. I need to hasten. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 and 23. Once somebody look at that, I want you to read it for me. Does anybody have it already? 14, nice and loud, someone with a loud voice. Okay, brother, brother, brother Steve, yes, you've got a loud voice, Brother Steve. Go right ahead. 22 and 23, yes, sir. He started out, thank you, Brother Steve, excellent job. He said, you learn to tithe, and here's what you do. You tithe off everything, and you're honest. And the real reason is at the end, that thou mayest learn to do what? Fear the Lord thy God. It makes God real to you. Okay? Now, if you're saved, will God ever leave you or forsake you? No. But for God to be real to you, that's the fear of the Lord. By the way, the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Fear of the Lord, when you acknowledge the Lord, he'll direct your path. He said, by the fear of the Lord is strong confidence to face problems and issues. And some of us were scared to death of everything else because we don't have any fear of the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, you're going to fear everything else. If you, if you do fear the Lord, you're not going to be afraid of other things. Because you, it, courage and confidence does not come because of who we are, but who's with us. So the reason for the tithe is to care for God's work and his worker and to teach me that God is alive and well in my life and that I have, his, I have his presence with me. And then lastly, of course, the rewards of the tithe are innumerable, but you'll see them in Malachi chapter 3. He says, first of all, he says, I'm going to bless you beyond your ability to live. After you're dead, you won't have room enough to receive the blessings. I'm going to pour out my blessings upon your life. That's not always calculated in dollars and cents. You, get, you can't get your kid to obey you, have, have kids that love the Lord just because, you, because you're a good dad or a good mom. You need, you need God to help you with that. So many just simple things. He says, I'm going to protect the fruit of your ground. You see the word ground in the Bible, it usually refers to a heart. You know, there's some people, they, get, they have a bad thing happen to them and it causes them to go so squirrely, they get away from God completely. There's other people who have the same thing happen to them 
and God gives them supernatural grace, and they don't get wounded in their heart. And then he says, then your, 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 your fruit will not cast forth her vine in the, in the field until it's time. That means you'll have what you need when you need it. And anybody who's a tither will confess, that all happens. That's a true thing. So a tithe, and that, your, God will grow your tithe. If he gives you $100, you give him 10 if he gives you 1,000, you give him 100. You let him grow your tithe. But I think the next area is beyond our tithe. It's giving that next 11%. Now, that's the get-to. This, in my opinion, is the, is, it's, it belongs to the Lord. Uh, our tithe is the Lord's. It's holy unto the Lord. So the tithe is, is really not even, God never says give the tithe. He says return, pay, bring. So he doesn't say give the tithe because That'd be like if I drop my wallet and you chased me out of the auditorium and said, Pastor, I have a special gift from my heart to you. I said, what is it? It's your wallet. You know, I would not say you're, you're not giving me a gift. You're merely returning what, what was mine. So you returned it to me. You brought it to me. The next area is beginning to give beyond the tithe. And that is, uh, I refer to it as offering. Some people do not agree with the offering thing, think it's, that's just more sacrifice and things. But I think it's when I, now, this is, shows my love and my gratitude to God. And then giving to others. You'll always have, as a child of God, people within your sphere of influence who will need something. Now, sometimes they need stuff because they were sleeping when you were awake. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were lazy when you were working. Okay, they were spending when you were saving, and that's why they need help. But God will put someone. He said, when you help someone else, you lend to the Lord your alms. By the way, the alms is the thing Jesus said. That's where you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Brother Ron, is it your birthday today or yesterday? When was your birthday? Yesterday? Happy birthday to you. I just remember that just looking at you. But when your alms... He says, when you're helping other people, don't go around, yeah, I helped that guy, or yeah, we always do stuff for them. That's, not, that's where you really probably need to kind of keep your mouth shut and let your not left hand over right hand. Now, in giving of our tithes, we keep it secret. I don't, I, you know, I don't go say, hey, here's what I'm giving today. What are you giving? You know, I don't do that. You don't do that to me. But it's not really in the Bible times. Jesus stood and watched people give with his disciples. So it was kind of like open things David would say, I'm giving this much. And Nehemiah said, I'm giving this much to this project. And everybody just kind of gave it out open there. But when you're giving to each other, was a, when you're giving to your, your alms, it was a little more secretive so as not to cause pride and that kind of a thing. And I'm not saying you need to show off what you're giving to the church, but sometimes people say, I don't want anybody to know. Well, I don't, I don't even know if that's biblical. I think you'd find a more biblical base on people knowing what everybody gave if you wanted to. But I'm not saying we do that. But he said, you give to the Lord whenever... You honor him with the tithe. You learn to give generously because you're loving your gratitude. And then you honor the Lord by giving to others. And when you give to others, you give to the Lord. So two things. God is a source. Number two, giving is a must. Number three, work. Go to work. God rewards hard work. He condemns laziness. Laziness is the scourge of ministry and of, of society. You get lazy people. And we, how many have heard someone say in the last year, I can't find anybody to work? Anybody ever heard that recently? We can't get good work. Laziness. 
And it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ball and chain to any institution and certainly any society. But God rewards hard work. The harder you work, the luckier you'll get. And all through the Bible, he gives us 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10. He said, if a man doesn't, doesn't work, neither should he. The greatest motivation for work is, is uh, hunger. <laughs> and when a guy's hungry enough, he'll figure it out. The guy's sitting there and saying, I'm starving. Okay, I had a guy about 300 pounds tell me the other day, I haven't eaten in two days, so live off the land for a little bit, buddy. You're going to be fine. The truth of the matter is, it's it's just, it's not true, number one. Number two, um, one of the motivations for work is, he said, if a man doesn't work, he he shouldn't eat. He says, seest thou a man diligent in his business? He'll stand before kings and not stand before the average man. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Chapter 6 of Proverbs. Go to the ant, thou slugger, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide or overseer or a ruler provided their meat in the summer or food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O slugger? And when will you arise out of your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding in the hands of sleep. So shall your poverty come as one that traveleth, and your want as an armed man. People that, that he said, if people who do, not, who, who do not work hard, they will resort to staying on the move or resorting to illegal means to get what they want. That's what happens at the end. People just come and steal someone's purse. It's illegal. You shouldn't do that. Because they don't want to work. And in and, and laziness. But God awards. And you know, we see this, and you've heard me quote this many times. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Jesus said, I work, my Father works. Six days shalt thou labor. See, labor is one of the problems of our society. But he said, a financial principle, number one, God's the source. Number two, giving is not an option, it's a must. Number three, go to work. Number, th- number four, gain a contented spirit. Gain contentment. It's one of the curses of our day is that we're just not a happy people. But contentment is understanding that God has given me everything I need for my present happiness. So if I'm not happy, I can't blame God about that. That's not his fault. That's my fault. Because he has given me everything. In a, I got enough clothes. I got a, I got, I've got everything I need to be happier. And so do you. And all through the Bible, God reminds us. He, he reminded the children of Israel when they went to the Canaan land, Deuteronomy. Because you guys got to watch this. When you get all this stuff. He tells us to be godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, you brought nothing to the world. Certain you're not going to bring anything out. He said, if you have food and raiment. Be content. Apostle Paul tells in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 11, for I have learned in whatsoever state or situation I'm in, therewith to be content. Verse 13, he uses that verse, I can do all things through which strengthens me. I can do, I can live anywhere. I can go through any situation. Every once in a while, someone will say, you know, where do you live? I I don't even care where God wants me to live. Wherever, I'm only going to live here just for a few short more years, and then I'm checking out. So I can live wherever God wants for me. I'm not going to tell God, I don't want to live over here. That's where I want to live. You, know, you can do that, but I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. I think you might want to find out where you live now and be glad you live there. I remember Brother Hiles across the street, and he banged away at this, and you probably remember this. Want what you have, not what you don't have. Yeah, want the car you have. Get a hold of your car, steering wheel this afternoon, and, and see it, and say, Lord, thank you for this car. 
Whatever key you open up tonight, is your think, Lord, thank you for this place. Whatever, if you're married, thank God for the spouse God gave you. Thank the things that he's given you. What will you have, not what you don't have. Because the enemy of contentment is comparison. And a lack of contentment drives us into the next challenge, and that's debt. And uh, this is the next thought I would give you. First of all, uh, God is the what? He's the source. Number two, giving is a must. Number three, go to work. Number three, gain a contented spirit. Make sure you're a contented spirit. Next one is you want to guard against or get out of debt. Now, debt is about as normal for an American as it can be. In the most prosperous time of our world, uh, many people, even under the sound of my voice, are dealing with debt. And we've imposed it. We've invited it. We, we, we've, we've done it. We, we, we wanted, it's, you know, and debt really is, is really a grant, you know, based upon, um, based upon someone else's loaning to you. And interest is what you pay because you signed up for the grant. And it's challenging. And I don't, I don't uh, believe that debt is a sin or God would not regulate it and give the rules he has to it. It can be leveraged, and I'm not here to argue about that. But I would just say debt does four things automatically. It can discourage you. When you work hard and you're still paying interest, it's discouraging. It, it, it oftentimes distresses you. It brings additional stress. You know, it's hard enough for two people to love God, love each other, without the additional strains of, of stress. It, it can divide you. It divides, it divides churches. It divides people. It divides opinions. It divides couples. It divides good friends. And it definitely disqualifies us from doing things God wants us to do. And, you know, we can talk about numbers of things. And, of course, I think uh, that uh, some people may, may be a little bit more on the stream and say, I just never borrow for anything, a house or a car or whatever. And, and whatever you, you decide. I don't, once again, I don't think it's wrong, but I think we have enough information in the Bible to say there's warnings against it. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse number 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender okay so servant there is another word for slave okay so whenever i get into debt i am creating an additional master so and really you don't work good for multiple masters and many of us we have multiple masters we have different ones there we've got master card he's a real good guy and discover and visa and citibank and then the car payment, then the house that we mortgaged a couple times. And we can go out and eat here and there and all this stuff, but the truth of the matter is we've, we've, we've enslaved ourselves to these other people. We've, we've kind of locked me up, put a ball and chain on me, so now I'm connected to you. And now whenever you get funds from whatever source, working, gifts, whatever, now you get it and all of a sudden you have it, and you're like, oh, look. And then all of a sudden, whoa, whoa. Well, everybody's pulling on you. Give it. Come on. They'll give you a minimum payment, and they'll kick the can to you just keep paying interest and interest and interest till they keep you for a long time. 
And oftentimes we, we, we fail if we, we get in debt because we fail to pray. Sometimes we don't pay off debt aggressively. Um, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3 just for a second. If you get your Bibles here, Proverbs chapter 3. I think sometimes uh, you know, we've got some priorities of things we need to do. Um, and I, and here's, a, here's a sin I see even among Christians oftentimes. Verse number 27. The Bible says, Withhold not good from him whom it is due when it's in the power of thy hand to do it. Okay? And I think you could talk about that being like if you want to comment, commend someone, or do something good for someone, you have the chance to do it. But also... Good, when you see the word good in the Bible, it normally re re refers to substance. Not always, but most of the time. Like whenever you talk about the, the nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and then it, it, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Well, goodness is generosity there. In the context of James chapter 4, verse 17, to him that knoweth to do good. He knows that God's impressed his heart to share something. And doeth it not, to him it is sin. When God impressed my heart to do something, and I was like, I don't think so. I don't think I want to do that. That, that is in context talking about going here and there, and I'm going to gain and get more for me. And he says, look, if God impressed your heart to give something, you don't do it. That, 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 you're, that's on you. He says, let him that stole, in Ephesians chapter 4, let him that stole steal no more, but rather labor with his own hands that which is good. He'll gather his substance so that he can give to them who, that have need. He said, now look, if, if you have a chance and you have something and you can pay a bill, you can, you can pay that bill, you can pay that, that mortgage, that rent payment, that, that bill, and you, don't, you withhold it and say, you know, well, I, you know but I don't, I don't know, my daughter's getting married, I don't know, I might have to keep that for a rainy day, and I don't, and I don't give to what I'm supposed to, I'm not aggressive about taking care of that. He said, withhold not that which is good when, when it's in your power or your hand to do it. Look at the next verse, would you? Verse 28. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, come back Friday, and tomorrow I will give thee when thou hast it where? You have the ability to pay an obligation, and then you say, oh, you know, come back next week, and I'll pay it. When you have the ability to do that, you may have to tell someone, look, please forgive me. I do not have a dime to give you, but I, I'm going to get paid Friday, and I'll give it to you then, and then do it. That may be a possibility of thing. But if you have money to give that person, and you say, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm going to take the kids out for dinner on, on Thursday. I need that when I take the kids out for their little treat. And that person is going without what you owe him? Seems like to me that's a violation of Scripture. I think that debt is an issue. Someone said creating debt is like wetting your bed. It might feel good for a second, but don't do it, okay? It really messes everything up. And boy, that sum is true. It creates all kinds of problems long term. We've had that problem here at First Baptist Church. And, and you know, there's so many things. When I think about having to turn in $76,000 every month, now we have a reduced amount. It used to be 97, used to be 117. Thank God it's only 76. But boy, when I think about $76,000 that we could be using for so many different uh, opportunities, it's discouraging a little bit. 
It's challenging. But it's something that, that takes place, and we need to deal with it. We've got to address it, and we want to, we want to be aggressive in taking care of it. Same is true personally. But guard against this. Here's, here's my thought on debt. It, your, it's your attitude about it. You've got to decide, you know, am I going to live this way? Or am I going to do something about it? Because, you know, whenever someone decides, you know what, I am, I'm not going to live this way, you can do more to pay off debt in months with, it, with an aggressive mindset. And God will jump on with you, I think. Then you can casually hit it every, every, every decade. Some of us, if we're not careful, we're in debt now. In 10 years, we'll still be in debt. And we just live with that. I don't think God wants us to do it. I think you ought to be careful about that. That may need prayer. It might be discipline. It might, it might be discernment. It might be going without or trusting the Lord. There are some questions you ought to ask yourself before you go into debt. Am I doing this because I'm not trusting the Lord? Am I doing this because I'm impetuous and I'm just not willing to wait for the Lord? Do I really need this thing? These are some questions we ought to probably ask ourselves. But we need to guard against it because it does create some issues. Uh, a couple more thoughts. The next, there's two more things, three more things. Next one is get on a budget. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 23, the Bible says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. In Luke chapter 14, he says, No man buildeth a tower without setting down first and saying, Do I have enough money to finish this tower? If not, you'll be a laughing stock. It'll be a big joke. He said, you've got to somewhere look, look in, and find out what you're doing. Disorganization, and a lot of times people are in debt, they don't even know how much debt they have. Because it's discouraging to even consider it. But decide, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on a budget. We're going to do this. We're going to let the budget be our boss. This is my admonition. The next thing, be generous. Excuse me, give to yourself. Give to yourself. Learn to save. Um, let's look at, we're in Proverbs. How about Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 20? Can we look at that real quickly? Proverbs 21, verse number 20. This was not a part of my DNA. I didn't grow up this way. But let's read it together. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Everybody ready? Here we go. There is treasure to be desired in the oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man. So he said a wise person will have what? Some treasure and some oil saved away. And I think this, this is something that didn't go, it didn't, it didn't set well for me because I was really used to living hand to mouth up until I got married, quite frankly. And whatever more I got, I spent that much or I gave that much or I did something else with it. And then I figured out a few things after a couple marriage retreats that it wasn't fair for Linda to have to live on my stupidity and have her be in pins and needles because I wasn't willing to do something to save a little bit here and there. I think there is, there is a, a warning in the Bible of saving too much. Some of us, we have way too much money we're sitting on that needs to be put in circulation, and it will be a witness against us one day. I believe that with all my heart. If you don't believe it, read James chapter 5. Okay? Others of us, we need to save some money and put it aside for rainy days, difficult times, uh, so forth. Save for the next vehicle you want to get don't, instead of getting it on a, on a payment. Save for your vacation so you don't go out there, don't da charge, you know, don't da charge, you know, just keep just charge everything. And then fight about it for the next six months that you're you you get the bills come in. Save it ahead of time. And then the last thing, be generous with God and others. 
be generous with God and others. And I think that is the, 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 the thought of that is give and it shall be given to you. So when you have a chance, you have a nickel or a dollar, you know, and God impressed you to give a dollar, okay. He'll, he'll return it back to you. I had a young man recently, and he, he was so sincere. He said, Pastor, I work, and I don't see my money. It goes on my school bill. But it's increased to me. And, uh, but I don't get it. I don't get it myself. But do I need to tithe off of what I get? Because I have a savings, but it's gonna, it's gonna, if I tithe every time, it's going to deplete my savings. You know, there's everything within me says, look, buddy, bless your little heart. Just keep your money. But, you know, I want God to bless that fellow. It's like, I'm afraid that's going to go down. And, and it will. But, you know, there's someone who fills it up. There's someone who gives. If we'll be learning to give, he'll learn. You know, it's so sweet. He said, Pastor, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I just need to trust God. I just, he, he showed me last time when I did that, it worked. I'm just nervous again. How could I do that? How could I keep up with this? But there's a God in heaven that's got a bigger shovel than you do. And he can take care of us. Eight principles. And uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. God is the source. Giving is a must. Go to work. Uh, gain contentment. Guard against debt or get out of debt if you can. Uh, get on a budget. Give to yourself and be generous with God and others. Thank you, friends. We love you. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.